Top of the hour, and that means it's time for Two on One, the Internet's number one show where two disciples theologians talk to one theologian about the pop culture topic of his, her, or their choosing. Hi, I'm one of your co-hosts, the Reverend Arthur Stewart. And I am your other co-host, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. And Arthur, it is good to see you. It feels like the most wonderful time of the year. It is. And right, uh, you can't see it. I've got chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Uh, if I pass that, it's from smoke inhalation, and it's fine. I love that. And I'm, you know, I'm in my holiday green. I feel like I might wear this shirt all month long. Oh. <laughs> well, see, and I'm going for, like, purple and gold and navy blue. Like, this is a Christmassy shirt. It's not red. It is. It, it it feels Christmassy. You know, it, it, it feels a little Christmassy, which feels appropriate. <laughs> well, speaking of Christmas, I've got to show you this. Uh, it's Christmas in July. And so, therefore, I'm lighting themed candles this month during our promo time. Ooh, if it's Christmas in July, though, wouldn't June have been Advent when candles are more appropriate? Okay, well, I'm going to light the first candle now. (laughs) Do you hear this, by the way? I do. Okay, cool. I feel like I'm using a jet engine. You are. I love that for us. Um, Are you lighting it? Is it for hope or peace? Oh, it's for passion. Ooh, uh, that would be more appropriate for at least or for the last week of Lent, though. <laughs> and I mean the intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Well, you know what we are enthusiastic about? We are enthusiastic about so much, Spiff. <laughs> That's true. We're very enthusiastic people. I think that people would actually de- describe both of us as very enthusiastic. <laughs> but we are in particularly enthusiastic uh, to this part of our podcast. Let's talk about the liturgical textiles from Jeff Wonro Designs. It's not even our passion spiff, but I I think we share it because Jeff Wonro Designs and their passion. Yeah, and they have so much passion too. And for 16 years, Jeff Wonro has been making ordinary time extraordinary by crafting banners and copes and pyramids and frontals and altar hangings and chasubles and miters and of course, stoles. So listeners, viewers, deuces, do you want a stole for a certain season? You have options. Do you want that stole that is customized to your particular needs? You have options. Do you want to wrestle with many intricately designed, meticulously crafted choices? You have options. (laughs) Jeff Fonder designs make liturgical textiles with passion. And trust me, you do not want a frontal without passion. (laughs) No one wants a frontal without passion. Uh, Arthur, check out all of the options, both catalog and customization at jeffonerow.com. And for our listeners, our viewers, our deuces, who are as passionate about so much as we are, enter two-on-one, all one word, all letters for 15% off your entire stole order. That is such a good deal. And we are so thankful to Jeff Onerow at Jeff Onerow Designs for being our lead sponsor today. We are indeed. And so the light grows, the light grows. The light okay. grows. Nobody look at me while I blow out the candle real fast. I just, with, with the chestnuts and the candles, it's a lot of smoke. Okay. Uh, and since it's Christmas in July, we're going to start with the last relic of the 1990s, Love Actually from 2003 or 2004. Let's bring in our guest. Let's do it. I have, to, I have a feeling today is going to be one of those days in which we, it's a discussion, but I, I, and there's going to be passion. I can feel it getting heated because I peep, this is a very polarizing movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's bring in our polarizing guest, uh, the lovely, marvelous, and incredible Reverend Whitney Waller. Hey, Whitney. Hi. Hello. 
Welcome back to Two on One. You are our most uh, regular guest. I, I went back through our archives. This is appearance number four for you. And we still have to talk about wettest, hottest American summer. That's true, we do. And it is the wettest, hottest American summer right now. So, oh. But we're talking love actually today. Uh, a reminder. But it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, no, because if people watch this in 50 years, they're going to be like, wow, it was cold. It was only 110 degrees in Seattle. Wow. <laughs> but they'll also be watching it from our moon colony. So if Amazon allows them a break long enough to uh, watch it. Okay, enough dystopian future. <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, utopian Sponsored by Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> The old cool clean water. Are <laughs> you drinking actual coffee? Didn't that go extinct in 2025? Uh, anyways. Did it while it's good. Did it while it's good. <laughs> well, this is this Christmas already has gone off the rails, which tracks for I Christmas already got back. the present that I wanted this Christmas. So that A stole from Jeff Wonro Designs? Also that first candle that. is not about hope, everybody. Uh, we're talking Love Actually today. A reminder that this is a spoiler show, and Love Actually is a 2003 film where it's vignettes that all eventually kind of come together at Heathrow Airport, of all things. Um, okay, so, and by the way, I saw it for the first time ever a few nights ago. Wait, what, really? Yeah, I'm married to an exer who owns it, and I've never seen Love Actually until a few nights ago. So, um I have thoughts. But Whitney, what's your experience with Love Actually? Why why this movie? Why now? Hey, wait, how much do you love Love Actually? Actually, I love Love Actually a little less every time I watch it. Um, so I so I saw this movie probably the year that it came out. I was a high schooler and I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I, you know, probably spent an unhealthy amount of time trying to decide which one of these lovely charming british men was going to be my like new celeb crush um and then i like put it away i didn't watch it for a long time and then i watched it in maybe college with like some friends you know because it is a christmas movie uh we watched it for the season and i realized it's really problematic and i didn't really grow on me and really, I think that every couple in this movie should have had an intimacy coordinator, like the um, couple that's filming a sex scene throughout the duration of the movie, because that was actually the healthiest relationship in the entire thing. But that's not to say that I there aren't parts that still charm me. I still am really glad that Bill Nagy is there. I still feel it in my fingers and in my toes. Um, and Colin Firth forever. He really can't do anything wrong. So I'm sure in the interim between recording this and releasing this, he's going to do something very wrong and that comment's not going to age well at all, but we'll see. So what about you guys? (laughs) I think it's an important, I I will argue that it's the last thing from the nineties. Um, like it is the last nineties movie. It just happened to come out in 2003. I appreciated its patriotism, so to speak, for Britain, like it stood up to George Bush, George W. Bush hegemony. Uh, I loved the subtitles bits. I was laughing out loud at some of those things like, hey, he's uh, dad's going to go sell our, my sister into slavery. Everybody follow. And they do. Uh, and I'm hoping that this phone stops ringing. 
Uh, yeah, but I think Alan Rickman is more of a villain in this movie than he is in Die Hard, which we're talking about at the end of the month. So, he's such a villain. He's, a villain. he's predatory. I thought he was gay. I was sure that like he was going to go home and be like, oh, where's my husband? But he didn't. He's married to Karen, who does nothing wrong, except she has no emotional capability. I mean, she's British, so... Well, yes. But I love... I find her lovely. What yeah. is your thought about Love Actually? I Well, one, I'm like, what is this... For all you deuces at home, you can see I'm clearly not in my home. I am. I have started sabbatical. And so I am in my brother's house in which the sun is. I can feel it in my fingers. <laughs> I can see it. It's beautiful. So we're just going to leave it. it like this. This is how my life is right now. Um, I watched it. <clears throat> not to say how much older I am than Whitney, but uh, <laughs> I watched it in the theater when it came out. I believe I was living in Europe. <laughs> I think it was, uh, I, I, if it's 2003, I, I, I have a vague memory of seeing it overseas. Um, but I know that I came back to the States and saw it and loved it. Just loved it. It hit everything. Like the idea that my, clearly my favorite relationship is between, um, oh, what is her name? And Hugh Grant, who's the new prime minister. <laughs> Who doesn't have uh, Natalie. Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's, I mean, I'm with you in theory that, no, I'm with you that it's a bad movie. I still watch it and still enjoy it. It still hits all the feels. It still hits all the feels and it hits very much in the spaces of nostalgia for me. And, uh, yeah, it, it's garbage, but it's good garbage for my spirit. And, and I think that I guess that's okay. I liked the idea that there were lots of different ways to like come about love and like I'm with you on the unhealthy like sexual experience and like that the the porn stars are like really the or the like stand in for porn is really the healthiest relationship that there is absolutely. Um, and Alan Rickman is as a villain is like oh. Yes. And also RIP and like all the things that you like, like, and so I don't know, I still watch it every year because I like garbage things. <laughs> well, I think so. Spiff, I think that like, for me, it's this distinction of it being something that I consume and enjoy, which like would still be true for the movie. I mean, as I was rewatching for us talking today, I still, like Arthur said, there are parts that I laugh at and I think are so funny. There are parts that are really sweet. Like, of course I tear up a little bit. Um, but it's, I think that like on that first watch, it wasn't just enjoying it. It was almost idolizing it. Like, oh, love actually is like all of these things. And that's kind of true. Like love is messy and it's complicated and like, unhealthy relationships like all of the ones we see actually exist in the real world and that's actually an okay thing and kind of a I don't know like a nice reality to have painted before you but I think there's something different about observing that as a 30 something year old woman versus like a 15 year old where you're like I hope that I get to have an office romance like Alan Rickman's one day like oh god not a thought that I had but could be a thought that someone had like I'm just saying um yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And it I still like it. It just it's the people that think it's the best Christmas movie. Yeah. Whitney, why is this not the best Christmas movie? Well, I would say in part it's I 
Now, for those who think it might be the best Christmas movie because it involves a Christmas lobster and octopus. Which is awesome. Like, that's a great, great. that's a great thing. But I think that it is not the best Christmas movie, probably because of the refrain that keeps coming around that will never actually sit comfortably in my, like, soul as one who celebrates Christmas as a, like, pastor, um, is that, well, it's Christmas, so I might as well tell you this uncomfortable thing, because why not? Like, that is the only... That is the only relationship this movie has to Christmas is saying like, well, it's Christmas. So I should tell you, I love you. Well, it's Christmas. I should learn Portuguese and propose marriage to you. Well, it's Christmas. I should exercise weird boundaries with this other 11 year old girl. Like I just, none of that. I I'm not here for that. That is not Christmas as it turns out. Okay. So can we, as I, w- I watched Home Alone by myself. I was going to watch it with my 10-year-old daughter who ruins every movie she's already seen. And I just couldn't do it. Um, I love her. I love her tremendously. Watching movies with her is my cross to bear. Um, and she was out of town for a weekend and I just sat around and made pie and blah, 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 blah. Anyways, um, the Home Alone, like charging through the airport scene becomes more and more of an antique every time. I know we're talking about Home Alone with someone else entirely next week. But also like the little precocious kid like charging through airport security in 2003, if it were America, he would have been shot. Um, and he's pretty I, blonde. I don't know about that. Yeah. I was like, he's pretty white. But, but it's, 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 it's this precocious thing of like, it's Christmas and it's love. And so can we talk about the difference between Christmas love and Easter love for a minute? Hmm. Like, why don't people well, say yeah. well, it's Easter. So I need to tell you the truth or it's Easter. And I'm going to present to you my horrible boundaries or. um, Well, I don't know. I do feel like I was just at a pride event this weekend where there maybe were a couple of people who were sharing some Easter love of, well, it's Easter. Let me demonstrate horrible boundaries and give you a bad impression of what love means. I mean, to be fair, Uh, is that not every day? I don't oh, know. No, that is every day for yeah, for folks who are part of the LGBTQ community with people constantly berating them and saying, well, it's in the spirit of love that I'm telling you you suck. So yeah, like I sorry, that was just a brief aside on uh how I do. I think also took people, what you were saying is backwards. So I now understand what was happening. <laughs> yes. No, sorry. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. It, it's Spiff very just early. woke up. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess the other side in this is love actually is a Christmas movie. Yes. Because it is inseparable from Christmas. Like Christmas is a driving force of the plot. Yeah. Like it's a wonderful life is not a Christmas movie. It's an Easter movie. Um, Gremlins. Why? What do you, what's your distinction between a Christmas movie and an Easter movie? Can you take Christmas out of the movie and it still works? It's not a Christmas movie. That's why Gremlins is a Christmas movie and why it's a wonderful life is not. Um, and what makes it an Easter movie, though? An Easter movie is when there is overt resurrection. Um, George Bailey dies and he rises. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. yeah. No, the, I feel like those are really good boundaries and parameters. Like, I feel like you should send them to the MPAA and be like, listen, well, we're going to so need a I, new category. I will, I will admit that this was informed. Uh, part of what we're doing with Christmas in July, and I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. I'm also moving my hands a lot to where my watch just congratulated me on standing. Congrats. <laughs> also, that's another barometer that lets you know how far we've come as a society. <laughs> you stood up. Um, sometimes Sorry. when I go on walks, it will text me and say, the kitchen isn't this far away. Who stole this? Um, 
<laughs> I almost lost my point. Oh, asking if Die Hard was a Christmas movie to try to draw out guests about Die Hard later in this month, a conversation emerged about whether or not Christmas movies were Christmas movies. So it's not my work. It's Micah James and Jeremy Skaggs and Donnie Featherston. A whole bunch of people came up with that definition. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. Anyways. Okay. I lost my question. I'm sorry. Well, so you asked the difference between Christmas love and oh, Easter yeah. love, right? And then yeah. I think we all there... took an opportunity to quip. Why aren't there love actually is for like Easter? Why, why don't we have like, oh, it's Easter. Go ahead and kiss her. Or it's Easter. Go ahead and, you know. I mean, to be fair, I think it's be- in part because the like movie genre that love actually did give birth to, which is the like bloated ensemble cast movie, right? Like, I mean, we get love actually. And then that's why we get Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve. Um, yeah. And clearly we just did not get to make it to like late March Early April. <laughs> yeah. have to have Easter weekend. Um, Flag day. Leap year. But I think that that's... To be fair, Leaper is a good movie. That is a good movie. I like that one. And not like a bloated ensemble, but yes, but holiday-based. Um, but seriously, I think that the reason that we get more movies that are about <laughs> Christmas love is that there's something... There is something much more exploitable, and I don't mean that as negatively as it sounds, but I just think that, like, there's more fodder there for love that is more grounded in the incarnational feel of Christmas, of what it means to, like, be with each other. Like, that's what, even when we kind of divorce Christmas from its religious undertones of what incarnational love is and for like God with us to exist, we still carry over this incarnational aspect of Christmas is about all of us being together. Christmas is about getting to have this time that we spend and are intentional in our relationships in certain ways. And I don't think that that's the same messaging or spin that we put on Easter, both in a secular way, but also a spiritual way when Easter is more about talking about where sacrificial and redemptive love meet each other. Um, I think that that's maybe a harder thing to distill out for like mass consumption Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that's like healthy and life-giving. I mean, I think that we, you know, in a way that's not passion of the Christ. Well, and because it, it's the two times a year that we say, like, look at how connected we all are, right? The birth of Jesus, it, birth, like, spreads out into, like, here's the love for all of us. And then Easter is the resurrection of, you know, all of that, again, in the connected way. And I do see why this is a Christmas movie, being as these vignettes are interesting intricately connected in different and new ways. And I like that. And as I rewatched it, I was like, it feels a little bit like church Beak on Christmas Eve when everyone comes back, the people you haven't seen in a really long time, people that you see all the time and you hear all the stories from throughout the year of what's happening. And as pastors, we get the like, I think my husband's cheating on me. I'm in love with the prime minister all at once. And you're like, oh, cool. Like It it is something that we're actually trying to Yeah, happy Christmas, everyone. Being in love with the British prime minister is a required class. I know at every disciple seminary. Obviously. I mean, I took it twice, but um, (laughs) there is, but I, you know, like, so it's like, I get it. And I get that, like, it does feel a little sloppy, like church. And I mean that in like church's best way. Yeah. Not like, 
church is messy. Church is messy because church is people. This movie is messy because there's people here. And also it needs, this movie needs a pastor or a chaplain to say like, here are the, here are the ways in which I see God at work in you. And here are the ways in which I see you sabotaging your own life's mission of goodness and what God is doing for you. Okay. We have to talk about Peter, Mark, and Julia, please. Oh, for sure. Like, we like can. On that, on that, on the yeah. sabotage thing. Number one, I'm super disappointed that Mark wasn't in love with Peter. Um, I thought that would have been a way better plot. Well, that would have been the, you know. In the Bible, it's in there. It's just not in here. No. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Uh, Mark being the naked streaker in uh, Mark 14. There you go. Mm-hmm. Anyways. um. It's super unhealthy. Like the the entire thing is just it, love comes from betrayal and dishonesty and obsession. Uh, why is that romanticized, and how does that affect our under? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something out. There's corporate love and there's Christian love. It's not a dichotomy. There's overlap in that. Corporate love teaches us something, a definition of love that is very different from the Christian understanding of it. And when I say Christian understanding, I mean love hath no greater. Uh, act than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love is patient. Love is kind. I know we need to avoid first Corinthians. Do you guys know that I did a study on first Corinthians last year? Ding, ding, ding for all of our deuces out there. But, but love as a self-sacrifice and then corporate love or what I'm going to call corporate love is more, what do I get out of this? And how are my needs going to be met for the sake of feeling good, feeling full, feeling whole? There's overlap in these. How do we confront corporate love when it seeps into the church? Because I think it does. And when we mm-hmm. say God is love, people think God is corporate love. Maybe that's just more of a hypothetical question. I apologize if that is the case, my friends. No, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, well, and I'm trying to think of it specifically as it relates to that, um, to those three characters, Mark, Juliet. Well, Mark. Mark should not have shown up with a boombox and signs like at all. It's, and by the way, I changed my name to Carol Singers because when uh, the sign said, tell him it's Carol Singers, I was like, wait, who's Carol? Um, (laughs) But but he should have shown up. That was the most selfish thing in the world. Like he married your best friend. It is. It's really selfish. And yet, is there room for grace in which they're young, they're, and I don't, I don't want to like, like do, I don't want to like excuse any of it, but it, there seems to be a part of it that may like, why do we think it's romantic? Because I think there's something, I don't know, like, fun's the wrong word, but something like magical about people being in love with you that you don't know about the surprise of love that like comes in. I don't know, maybe it is just garbage and I haven't thought this. (laughs) I I really do want to, I really do want to like play with this a little bit because it's fascinating that like love actually is my, my, my ex or husband is going to be mad at me. Love actually is not a great movie, but it's also like zeitgeist. It, it speaks to a part of us that is there. Yeah, oh, that, that card thing it shows up every year in something else, right? People use it to propose. People use it for like real 
like moments in their life. And it always, and I think though that that gets maybe, maybe that gets a little bit to Arthur's question about the difference between Christian love and corporate love is like Christian love, the ethos that that involves, like requires that the means and the ends are both justified. It's not, you know, oh, well, like, but the sentiment's so sweet. Like, it's okay that it's kind of misplaced. Like, and that's not to say that there's not grace in the way that (laughs) Christian love happens. Obviously there is. But I think for me, I see this as sort of this comparison point of like, that's one of the scenes in the movie that I do. I do remember thinking, oh my gosh, I would love for, you know, a boy to come and do something like this for me. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I haven't contextualized what he just did. Like, I'm just thinking about this one moment of that. And while I can like hold on to like, you know, the piece of that, that was beautiful. It's really problematic and really problematic. I think in some ways that we sometimes find ourselves brokering, like what's, what's okay because Mm -hmm. of love or what's okay because I'm being authentically honest and vulnerable. Like the part of it that I really have a problem with is that none of that should have been Kira Knightley's character's responsibility. Like she's the one who has to live with the knowledge that her husband's best friend has unrequited love for her. And now is put like into the situation of, do I tell my husband that do I, you know, like, am I the one who's supposed to say where in this relationship, like they're the two friends relationship, like what an unfair, unnecessary thing to put on her in addition to what we find out like in that scene where he's showing the video that he's made of their wedding, which is horrible work for a lot of reasons and very creepy, but also like, uh, I'm sorry, what? She's just like, but you're always so mean to me. Yes. I'm such a well-developed adult that my only response to having feelings for you that it is not appropriate for me to express to you is to either be incredibly mean and unkind to you all of the time or to show up at your door, ask you to lie to your husband, and then show you these signs and walk away. The only solace that I find in any of this is that I assume this is the origin story for Rick from The Walking Dead. That he is so embarrassed that he did this. He moves to America adopts a Southern accent goes into a coma and goes into a coma and then zombies. Happen. <laughs> All right. I, I, I take it back. It's garb. I, that whole, I, I, I think I, again, hadn't part, I hadn't put all those pieces together. It is garb. I'm fully on board with what you said with it's garbage. Yeah, but the, the one little bit though, it's so, it's so nice. Include you. And we, we're, we're nineties kids who have been told for, well, I'm a nineties kid who's been told uh, time and time again, that like, there is this one true love. And that's part of the audience participation is, is Kira Knightley supposed to be here or there, but it's like, as an adult now, like I didn't have the lens, the, the lens in which I first viewed this, in which it was kind of ingrained in me was not mature enough to say, oh, wow, this is so unhealthy, unfair and unkind. Yeah. I, I think it now is also just a, re- sorry, Arthur, last last bit on this, a really good time to remind ourselves that Kira Knightley was 17 years old when they filmed this movie. And I also have a problem with that. 
Oh, I did not know that. That's also very problematic. Let's give that 17 year old this, in, this terrible position to be in as like a human. I realize she's not 17 in the movie. Maybe she is. I don't think we ever know how old she is. Who's this child? I, think, I don't think she's 17 in the movie. I just, I was, I was doing my prep work for today and I was watching an interview with her and she talks about the reason she's wearing that stupid hat. It's because she had a giant zit on her forehead. And she said, that's what happens when you hire 17-year-olds. So, okay. So I should we hire 17-year-olds? I want to go to the opposite end of the- should normalize acne. Okay, go ahead, Arthur. I'm sorry. I'd like to talk about Bill Nye for a second. And I looked it up. It's Bill Nye, like N-Y-E, but it's uh, N-I-G-H-Y, uh, yes. Billy Mack. So Billy Mack, for those of you who have not seen the movie like me four days ago, um, the entire connection of the film- Ultimately, like Billy Mack is this aging rock star who puts out a super cynical version of his hit song, Love is All Around, calling it Christmas is All Around. And he he sings like a moose giving birth, like it's it's not good. And the whole thing that he does through the movie is he's like, this is a garbage song, but I want to be, fr- I'm doing Alan Rickman again. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to be top of the album. Uh, but he wants to You're have doing a, Alan Rickman though, but as, <laughs> as, as, as Severus, it's the only <clears throat> Porter. So weird crossover. <laughs> it's good. I like it. Slytherin. Slytherin. Um, so it's 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 cynical. Like it's mm. so cynical. And you know, it's like, what are you going to give people who buy your album? Uh, here's a band that has put out a not cynical song and they're young people. And Bill Nye is like, Oh, I got this marker and I'm going to write. They have tiny pricks on their picture. Is this the, is this the permission for boomer cynicism that we've been dealing with for the last 20 years? Is that where this came from? Hmm. And I don't mean all boomers are cynical hashtag, not all boomers, whatever, but there is a generational, nihilism that has become so harmful um that is now phrased as you know fuck your feelings or whatever else was you know because thinking about it like what did rock and roll do like what has it contributed it has just said i'm gonna be loud and make noise like louis louis has no discernible benefit like it, it it makes no contribution to the culture anyways i it's just something i thought about recently where I was like, is I think it's, yeah, I think it's a very compelling, um, like metaphorical semblance for it because I think it is true. I mean, it's, it's not like he's run out of money and we have to make this hit. It's not like it's something he's really passionate about and it's of interest. Like there's nothing compelling him other than well, I just, I make songs so I can make money. Isn't that what I'm supposed to still be doing? And that combined with the disdain for anyone else who has success in that market. I do think that that is like, I, yeah, I think it's a really good example of, I think boomer cynicism, but also kind of the cynicism that I think, like you said, generational cynicism, Arthur, like, I do think it's a perennial generational problem. I just think we're seeing it right now. Like, in that trans that this life transition stage for folks who are a part of um I mean this was, this was made right after 9-11, right? The the first thing that the movie says is I don't think the people who were in the planes that went into the towers on 9-11, and I'm like, good God, 
Like, oh, it, it does start with 9-11. Yeah, this movie is like super blunt and not tactful at all. Um, and it's fine. There's room for that in the church. But like there's there's like this underlying hostility towards kindness in this movie, which fascinates me because it's a Christmas movie. Hmm. Um, I will say the only profession of love that I do like is the Billy Mac at the end. That of all of it, when he he tells his manager, like, you're the one that I want to like to to spend these holidays. You've been beside me and it's not a romantic love. It well, or though it could be, you know, it's it's media made in 2003. So there has to be some gay panic or else it can't be shown. That's true. It's true. Um, We're coming for you, friends. We hate you or I hate you. And uh, we will do the one about it. And like, we're going for it. I have an interesting hot take for you though about that that we can do later. Okay, that was on that was on something I was reading and listening to. You were making a point, and I just no, it's all good. I would just I I, as I was going through all the character, all the like little because again, I love Colin. There's so many people in this movie that I really love, and I think that that also drove why for so long I've been hesitant to just write it off as a movie that I love is because. You know, I'm a big Notting Hill fan. I'm a bit, you know, so like I love me some Hugh Grant in that. And there's some translation over here, you know, Colin Firth. I, I like Kara Knightley. I like uh, Edgewell or uh, what is his name? Um, I can't pronounce it well and I don't want to. Edgewell Ediafor. Sorry. I'm close, hopefully. Um, anyway, he, you know, I like. So these vignettes are made of really great, I love Emma Thompson, like really great people and really great actors. And you, you, they don't get jaded over time, right? You just get just enough of all of them. Like, Ooh, this is, this is good and great. And yet like, it's just, for the most part, it, it just hasn't aged well. It's just really problematic. And what do we do with things that sit on our heart? Well, but don't, like translate well to our community in the church what are the what do we do with the john three sixteens that everyone really loves and wants to hear all the time and not that that didn't age well but just saying like what do we do with the things that speak more to us on a personal level than the intention and the spirit of what it was meant for yeah well and i think with that like upon this rewatch the thing that really stuck out to me was realizing because i'm with you but i love pretty much every actor who's in this movie is someone that I've enjoyed in something else and enjoyed in this again, like sure, yeah. it's an enjoyable movie. Like it's candy. It, you know, it like That's satisfies, like it satisfies a lot of different like urges and like wants that you want in a movie, not a lot of needs, but the thing that I thought was really interesting on my rewatch is my favorite parts are actually when you ebb and flow out of vignettes and see the connections that happen among all of the characters. And that's what I was reminded of in thinking about how this relates to church is that so often we're so hyper-focused on maybe the larger picture ideas of, you know, what love looks like, what building good relationship looks like, like all of those foundational principles that we maybe lose sight of some of the most powerful sentiments of love in this movie are like in instances, you know, it's like when Emma Thompson, whose character, I can't remember her name right now, but she's Karen. That's right. Karen is the, the prime minister's sister. And she sees that he's at 
the play that the kids are going to be in. And she's so touched that he's there. And she just says, you know, I mean, it's almost a throwaway line of you have no idea how happy I am to see my big brother right now. He doesn't know what's going on with her. She like, she barely knows what's going on with her at this moment, but like for that to be such a cogent, emotional, like here in this moment piece. And I think sometimes we take for granted, like that those little pieces of love revealed and vulnerability, that those are actually like, that is the love actually in this movie. (laughs) You're welcome. Goodbye. Have a good day. See y'all later. Deuces. (laughs) Nope is a year younger than Emma Thompson. And when she said my older brother, I was like, mm, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, hey, I, was like, I was like, get it girl. That was something I, that bothered me. I thought it was part of the joke. Mm. I, I'm with you though. I think that that is, is it, is it meant to be the love actually? No, but I think now, I think that that's what we can do with those things, right? For the church to say like, uh-huh. hey, these things that mean a lot to you and maybe have not, been taken in those instances, but like, where's the real love, right? It's the love is that God is still speaking to you. The love is in the study between you and let's say your Bible study group or whatever, you know, like all of those things. It's the, it's the, the smaller tissues of connection. That is the love actually the, I'm so happy to see my big brother. I'm, you know, like the consent we're waiting for, our first date or to get married, to have sex, like, not that you have to wait, let me put that out, but like, but there was intention and connection and consent and through all of that. And those are the little tenors of love actually um, uh, in that space. Does that make sense? It is deuces. It is early for me. I am in California rather than New York. And so I feel like I'm speaking. You're doing a great job. No, I do. I think that, well, and I think that it's, you look to those pieces you look to those places where you have experienced and known and actually cultivated healthy, loving relationships mm-hmm. to help us inform the ways that we do that in wider community. Um, because I think that that's one of the hard things about church sometimes. And I think this goes back to what Arthur was saying about corporate and Christian love is that we all know and experience love in all sorts of different manifestations, relationships. And some of the love that we experience is really healthy, life-giving love. And some of the love that we experience while there's still, while love is still there and that's a part of it, but it's, there's maybe more toxicity to it. There's some unhealth there. There are lessons that we learned in that relationship, whether it's romantic love or platonic love or family love, like just love is messy and complicated. And we bring all of that messy and complication to all of our corporate relationships. And we bring that to church and to our understandings of what it means to be here. And so sometimes being able to actually talk through the pieces of that that are problematic, the pieces of that that we still have learning or healing to do from can actually be a really life-giving and nice experience. Um, I, I well, as you're talking, I think that one... <laughs> Arthur, if you want to chime in on a Corinthians quote over here about what love is, but... <laughs> what love is actually um is it patient and kind but uh this none of this love is easy right all the love that they're showing in these vignettes it's the story is less about love than it is about perseverance of uh of spirit maybe like but like 
Colin Firth character, right? There's something there that we're like, oh, that's so romantic. Or we're supposed to think that it's romantic. You know, look at him learning Portuguese and, you know, uh, going to Aurelia and like all of that. And it's, and yet it's also like, oh, so many bad boundaries. So many, like, uh, not that that's a particular one, but just in all of it, none of these vignettes of what love is and we're supposed to romanticize has come kindly or easily or you know and so is you know what I don't know what do we do with that is 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 that is is the unease of love uh a red flag for community well so I think love is hard Uh, I think lust is easy uh love is hard um, I think about Colin, which incidentally was one of my favorite plots in the movie. The the remarkably ugly Brit who was like, I'm going to fly to America. I'm going to get laid. It's going to be awesome. And he does. And he, I, I, and just the cameos of like, oh, it's it's every it girl in 2002. That, girl <laughs> no that was that might be the thing that made that movie feel. I mean, and again, the <laughs> and I, I want to note. With Denise Richards' cameo at the very end of the movie, when she walks out, Denise Richards had just played a Bond girl in Die Another Day. So she was mm. at the height of lustful fantasies uh, in that. Her name, incidentally, was Dr. Christmas Jones uh, to set up the stupidest joke at the end of the movie, which I'm not even comfortable sharing on this podcast because my church people listen. But I do love Bond movies inexplicably. Anyhow, <clears> that. It's almost like Colin was the foil for what love is because everyone else struggled in pursuing love. And Colin was just like, I'm going to go get some. And he got it over and over and over again because, you know. Well, because there was honesty and truth there. He wasn't looking for love. He was yeah. looking to bang. Well, God bless him. He prayer of Jabez that. Like, I'm, I'm going to do this. And he did. Like, he put it out yeah. in the universe. His vision board, they couldn't show in the movie. I was going to say, we call that manifesting. We do, <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps that's that's the foil in it. I mean, and then you have um, Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson, which at the end of the movie when when she just sits in her room and listens to uh, Joni Mitchell's oh. Blue, I'm just like, oh, like this also just took a well. A turn. She, she clearly knows how to hide the fact that she's cried before. That's what broke my heart. Like she has a yeah. method and she has a ritual. And I liked, I liked her question. What would you do? Mm-hmm. Because that can't be corporate love because corporate love is about oneself. Christian love is it, it ultimately about the other. Well, and I think too, and I think that that's when you're looking at the relationship dynamics in the movie and teasing those out. I do think that in Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson's relationship, part of what makes that all so infuriating is that it's clear that he is so selfish the entire time and she is so selfless the entire time. But um, love endures all things, bears all things, perseveres through all things. Love never fails. Mm-hmm. But at what point does love make one a doormat? Or even at what point do you recognize that the mutuality that it requires for that to be a life-giving principle instead of a life-draining principle? When does that come into play? Um, And I think that's the power of the question that she asks, what would you do if you were me? Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you know, and I think she's asking that question to a tremendously selfish person who wouldn't be able to bear the thought (laughs) of Emma Thompson spending any part of her day pining or thinking about someone else. You know what I mean? So I just, I feel like that was a very convicting. So does Alan Rickman's character love himself? Or is he is just, his love actually towards himself? Does he actually love himself? Yes. I think he does. Yeah. I So watching the movie, because I thought Alan Rickman's character was gay and would have much preferred it. Um, every time Mia speaks to him, and Mia, by the way, fell out of 1997 in the time warp. Like, it's weird. She's the seventh friend. She is the third. The two guy, it was two guys, two girls in a pizza place, but she left um like it's the 90s show um every time she talks to him he has this look of visceral disgust on his face like rewatch those scenes because she'll be like what do you want me to do and sits with her you know legs wide open and he he turns away and he'll be like like he he, he literally it's like he's pursuing destructive it, it is a destructive relationship i don't think he loves himself i don't think he can act in love not that it justifies any of his behavior. I just always think the three part love God, love neighbor, love self. That's interesting because I think that so for me, I will have to go back and rewatch that because what I was noticing this time is that I'm not saying Alan Rickman's not like an attractive guy or anything, but he's definitely not presented in this film as like the attractive option. And for Mia to be put into this film and the way that she is presented, um, for the foregone conclusion in his mind to seem to be every time she does things like that to be, well, of course she's doing that. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the place for me where I like, I was just like, Oh wow. This guy's really feeling himself. Well, and it's, it's once again, just like the completely, the complete lack of subtlety in the misogynistic understanding of women in love, actually. Like, yes. Yes. The- Which I think is basically the fundamental problem in the movie 1000% I think because every story is heteronormative and therefore every story says what's normal is to hate women yeah, yeah. I agree and and that women are the root of the problem right like we don't we blame Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson's marital issues society like not the three of us but like <laughs> on on the intern that he buys a you know for pursuing him and rather than like taking a step back and being like oh this whole system is theft right like alan rickman is just a selfish husband a you know engaging a a, a predatory yeah predatory thank you it's like like, how do i say this nicely but like a predator i don't need to say it nicely he's a predatory boss um and so yeah i think like the the move the love actually is do you love yourself enough to not watch this movie because you need to step away because especially for women in which at every turn it's like oh this is we are the issue and the problem and i wonder if that is part of the lens in which both maybe whitney and i can view this versus what arthur sees and and how we pick things up and nuance uh the the dissection of it all and like what sticks out to us because of lived experience as a single woman, I have, you know, had to case in point, like I have wonderful, very good friends that are married. Right. I always make sure that I introduce myself to their wives and know like, Hey, like if we're going to be hanging out, I don't want you to have to worry about them. Right. Like that there is that conversation because 
the single woman has always been put as the the one that causes the impetus for the problems in marriages or breakups and all of the things. And that's just kind of like true writ large in all of these vignettes that like the, the single woman, I guess, kind of partly in all of this is, is to blame. Yeah. Well, and I think just like the misogyny of this film hits on so many points that again, when you're in your thirties watching it versus like, a 15 year old who's like believing all of that in the ways that it's been ingrained and socialized into you. It's a, it's a little different. Um, but you know, I mean, it's things like this movie's incredibly fat phobic, mm-hmm. um, Natalie which is astounding since personality trait. Yeah. Well, not only like, do they make that a personality trait, but it's also, it's astounding to me because there are actually no fat people in the movie. Well, there's um, the sister who, I, who who doesn't who who will never get married because yes how dare that straight-sized woman <laughs> be in this movie wearing a 14 gross like i just <laughs> the whole thing i that and i mean and it's even it's not just the writing but it's emma thompson's character they made her wear a fat suit for this movie the, yes really Yes, because she was too thin for it to be believable that her husband would cheat on her. I mean, like when I y'all really I did some deep dives on. Okay, so like this is this is a perfect example, though, of like there's there there, there's the uh, the teenage boy fantasy movie that comes out all sorts of places. And this is this is like uh, Whitney, you remember inevitably I made you watch Holy Musical Batman a thousand times by Team Stark. There's no, there's no maid. I okay. I, I, I encouraged you to do so during a period of my life where I found that to be the best Batman story ever told. And so really anyways, that's a, it's a parody written in like the style of like, if you watch it thinking a 12 year old wrote it, it makes sense. It's kind of the same with love actually. Oh, what if, what if grandpa just didn't care? And what if, you know, uh, all these hot girls just kept coming out of the, uh, out of the woodwork for, you know, a guy who really w- wants to have sex. And it's just, I don't know why they're Southern. That just breaks my heart a little bit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just, I and think that it's Mr. cool. He's incompetent and it's okay that he's bullied. Right. Well, and like, I mean, Natalie, that's another person. It's like, and, and they make it come out of the mouths of other women. That's yes. the part that I think it is yes. like every woman who interacts with Natalie is like, you mean the dumpy one? Mm, you mean the one with giant thighs? Her family's nickname for her is plumpy. And I'm like, we need to, we need to stop. Like there's no world where any of that's inappropriate, like appropriate. It's always inappropriate. Also that woman wears a size six. So get off of her back. Like right. on what planet? So I just, I had no patience for any of that. Me neither. Or the talk about mental health there. I mean, like, yes. I think they, I think they really tried and I will give the, I will give the movie credit in saying like, how do we show a comprehensive? I think that the vision was let's be comprehensive in the human experience, right? Like yeah. there's porn, there's mental health, there's different, there's ageism, there's, you know, all just everything. They were trying to throw everything in and they just missed the mark on all of it. Um, and yet we still love it. And there's that, you know, and all of that, but um, how dare yeah. Laura Lenny love her family and her career and not focus on romantic love? Like, how dare she? Okay. How dare she? <laughs> right. well, we, are, we are nearing the top of the hour. 
Uh, thank you very, very much, Whitney, for coming on to this. It was uh, a joy. Yeah, coming on to two on one. No, and, and unpacking. What does it mean to love something that's inherently problematic? I feel like that's all I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm always on. <laughs> well, I think it's great, and we're always glad to have you. And we look forward to your next time on the show with us. We do have a final question, as you are no doubt aware. Uh, Spiff, you are the expert in asking this question. If you would not mind, think about it. I was like, what time is it? Yeah, I had to think about uh, Final question. Say more. Um, Whitney, thank you again, obviously, for being on. Uh, we love you. Come back anytime. Um, come back again for Wetter, Hotter, American Summer. A less problematic movie than Love Actually. Uh, as it is, turns out. <laughs> as it turns out, which the titles would not suggest. Um, but what biblical story, theme, character, or book are you most reminded of uh, from Love Actually? So I am going to go ahead and say that I am most reminded of, and it's probably because we ended on a note talking about misogyny and the male gaze and how that sort of just makes women a commodity. Um, I'm going to go with the story of Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and Laban, um, Rachel and Leah's father. I think that this movie really reminds me of what it is for women to be used as like the fulcrum for satisfying Mm. desire Mm. um and that some women are the object of desire and some women are the ones who are left to pick up the pieces of men pursuing their object of desire um and that men like have different levels of complicity and how that happens you know jacob was actually very honest and open about like Rachel is the one that I would like to marry, would be really great. Laban is the one who literally (laughs) sells his daughter into slavery, uh, which also relates back directly to a line in the movie. So (laughs) that's what I'm going to go with. Well done. Uh, I'm going to say that Sam, the little kid who apparently was like 12, but looks like he's four. Sam is the Christ child. Um, I I bring this up because uh, he's the one who says, I want to be fully human. Like, I don't know why everybody thinks it's weird that he's grieving the death of his mom. Yeah. He's the one. The layers of this movie, y'all. Layers of this movie. He's the one who shows Liam Neeson's character how to love. He, He proceeds to live in radical community. He pursues it's, it's that line from the shack that I do really love. Speaking of problematic stuff that has some good points. Um, you know, Jesus will follow any road to bring you back. So he learns the drums. He, 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 he wants her to, uh, the girl to know his name. And when she sings, all I want for Christmas is you. And she points to him and then she goes and you and you, and the next shot is him just glaring and drumming. I was like, if that's not how Jesus feels at Christmas, I don't know what is. The little drummer boy. Yeah. And also he risks his life. He runs into the great unknown to bring her back. So. Yeah, Sam is the cross. I'm here for this hot take. I agree. <laughs> also, his favorite movie is the same as Jesus's, Titanic. Yep. Oh, and literally he stands like this at one point and falls. So that's usually the sign in superhero movies that that's a Christ figure. So there you 1, go. 000, I'm into it. What about you, Spiff? <sighs> you know, I was trying to figure, I was for for what it's worth, I really did go back and I was like, 
to first Corinthians and don't hate me, Arthur, but it, it, it very much, I was like, what is love actually? Right. Like there's so much problem that it was like, I wanted to go back to like the empower- love is meant to be a, a space of empowerment and grace and, you know, and, and connectivity. And while it doesn't show that well here, it does give us the opportunity to say, what is the love that we want in our lives? And so, um, I was either going to go with first Corinthians, Corinthians one, but I also think I might go with second Timothy one and seven for God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but for, but of power and love. And I like that in the fact that I think, especially for the women of this movie, like to lean into what is their own power for the love that they deserve. Um, and so that's where I'm going to end it. I'm sorry. I'm just pointing this out that not only did Spiff choose a Pauline text for her final questions answer, she then chose a pseudo Pauline text for her other answer. And that my friends, if nothing else is a Christmas in July miracle. Uh, I really want to start singing that song from dream girls. Now they're like, I am changing. We'll have to come back to do Dreamgirls. Do it. Waller, thank you so much for being our guest on. It was a joy. Thank you. Uh, Coming up this month, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better tune in. I'm telling you why. Christmas in July continues. Next week, uh, Carrie Tannehill is back. She's my favorite Slytherin and certainly yours as well. She's going to talk about the most Slytherin Halloween movie or Halloween Christmas movie, Home Alone. The week after that, Quadri Harris is coming back and he's going to walk with us through Best Man Holiday. And finally, then at the end of this month, Laura Blackwood Pickerel is coming on to insist that Die Hard is not only a Christmas movie, but the Christmas movie. So those are the next three weeks. Christmas in July continues on two on one. Thank you for tuning in. Spiff. Um, and again, a shout out to our lead sponsor, Jeff One Row. Yep, uh, perfect. Uh you know, Jeff One Row Designs making 16 years of ordinary time extraordinary. Make sure you use the code two on one, all one word for 15% off your entire stole order. This last uh month had been pride. I wore my pride stole all over the place, got so many great compliments about it. So I hope that uh as we talk about Christmas now, you get your stoles ready for Christmas. Absolutely. These stoles still steal the show. And that is our show today. This has been two on one. Thank you for tuning in. Like, subscribe, share, download. Do all the things. Yep. Do all the things. And uh, thanks, deuces. Bye.